to do anything in, in Manhattan real estate, you need like, you know, to pay at least eight people. You know, there's all, and we're not even through the list yet. Welcome to the John and Jonathan Sell NYC podcast, where experienced expert New York City real estate brokers, John Gustaska and Jonathan Conlin break down what's happening in the market, what you need to know, whether you're a buyer, seller, or agent, and their insight into the future with a little bit of fun along the way. In this episode, John and Jonathan discuss the highs and lows of their experiences this week in New York City's real estate market, as well as the parties involved in a real estate transaction. If you've purchased property somewhere else in the country before, it's pretty different here. From attorneys, boards, managing agents, and more, John and Jonathan break it all down. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to our podcast, the John and Jonathan Sell NYC podcast. Uh, It's great to see everybody, and welcome back to episode number seven. Mr. Conlon, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon. I am good. How are you doing, bud? I, I couldn't be better, better to quote my, my father. So with that, um, it's great to see everybody. And we are going to cover the following today. So each of us has three takeaways from the past week. And then this week, the topic is who are all of the parties, the most relevant parties within the real estate transaction? So with that, I'm excited to hear your uh, your three takeaways for this week, Mr. Conlon. And uh, so you're on. Well, this is a this is a slight change from our normally we just kind of ramble on. It turns out we can talk pretty much incessantly about a lot of the same things. So we're gonna we're gonna try to make it a little bit more succinct this week. Why would you say that? I know you have a verbose problem, but I'm Mr. Taylor today. I'm right, succinct. Yeah. I do this, not want to run into the wrath of Ms. Ballard. I would say that I've heard you say a few times like that you could talk to a wall. I Point think that's made. indicative. Very good. So I think the number one takeaway is that we have a lot fewer requests to show. Some of our properties, and, and we've talked about this before, the ones that have outdoor space, um, uh, the lower price points below one five are getting more traffic, but, uh, significantly down across the board. Um, no, take a number, take away number two would be the seller's reluctance to come to the market. Meaning, uh, if you want on, on most of our listings, I would say pretty much on all of our listings, our sellers have taken really good guidance from us. They've done what they've needed to do in order to position the apartment and allow us to market the apartment in the best possible way, meaning staging the apartment, um, et cetera. Uh, the last remaining thing that sellers have control over, that we have control over outside of those marketing efforts is the purchase price and the asking price. So we are talking to our clients, our sellers about, you know, listen, it, the only thing we have control over is that sale price. If you want to try to get more activity, if you want to really try to push to get this actually sold and get, if we haven't seen activity for the last 30 days, um, then that's the only option we really have left. We are trying everything inside and outside of the box to market these properties, but we can't, you know, we can only lead the horse to water and, uh, and if 
and lowering the price is the last sort of caveat that we hope to have. So that would be number two. Number three uh, would be, uh, I've, I'm calling it the cold feet syndrome, seems to be extremely pervasive these days. So even what's interesting to me on that is we were talking to Mike the other day, and even on rentals, he'll have people, we've had it happen a number of times already where tenants have put in applications on properties, have paid the $20 credit check fee, and then they just decide not to proceed. Um, that normally doesn't happen. Uh, so that's a testament to where the rental market is, which is just a lot of inventory on the market, a lot of options for people. So how about yourself, John? I know you got a few extrapolations on that, but what are yeah, your three takeaways? I, I, I agree with your three takeaways. My first takeaway is the high level of anxiety from both buyers and sellers. It's a very, very highly anxious market. So you'll have buyers who are apprehensive, who don't, like you said, they have the extreme cold feet syndrome. In fact, we're going to get red booties with a flame on them to warm their little feet or socks to get them because at lowest interest rates in, I think in, in our, ever since I've been selling real estate, what are buyers waiting for? But they're nervous. Big buyers are waiting because they're telling themselves, well, they're getting advice that the market's going to continue to erode and they're going to wait for lower prices. So there's a tentativeness in that, in buyers. And then there's, a, uh, there's high anxiety on the buy side, but then high anxiety on the seller side. Sellers can become highly aggressive. They can become hostile because they're afraid. They're afraid of one thing, that their apartments are not going to sell. And so we have to continue to manage that. That's my first takeaway from the week, the high level of anxiety, but then I like yours very much non-committing to even rentals. The second takeaway is the <clears throat> increase of concern and fear that COVID will not only come back in New York City, but will spike and that the market will continue to decline. So I don't know about you, but if I had the ability to forecast the real estate market, we wouldn't even have to be working, Jonathan. You and I, we would be in a, on an uh, island or you'd be in an island and you'd be doing something else. But we don't, have, we don't have that, all right, that ability. What we do have the ability to do is to monitor the day in and day out activity. The fact that we live in a marketplace where there are buyers and there are sellers, albeit there may be fewer buyers in this market than there are sellers. Well, okay, then that would say that's a, a buyer's market. Um, and if there are more properties on the market, the buyers have much more room to not only negotiate, but choice uh, to, to pick. So we don't have the ability to forecast the future. So the third takeaway is the increase in challenge in putting and keeping deals together. So not only has there been, when one's negotiating, the nitpicking involved, or but there's also uh, the delay in the parties coming to a meeting of the minds in terms of price and terms 
You just experienced that this week. But then also the deals that we do have in contract, consummating the transactions to bring them to closing. We have one transaction that's been in contract for many months. We don't know if it's going to close. We had one closing yesterday, which was very tenuous, was extremely tense, but we did get it closed. And that was a really fortunate deal for us. So with a lot of effort. Huh? With a lot of effort. On the on behalf of John Gastaska. <laughs> a lot of effort. A lot of hand holding. Yes. I was fortunate enough to stay out of that one. Thank you, John. I do well, appreciate you. Anytime, Jonathan. Anytime. <laughs> Every now and then one of us doesn't touch a problem a problem child. And we hear about it and we consult, but we don't have to get involved. So uh, I do appreciate that. You're welcome. Anytime. Before an offer is ever put in on a property, certain members of the real estate transaction team need to be in place. In this next section, John breaks down exactly who you need to contact and vet and why each person needs to be involved. So everybody's aware of it. You'll talk about people that are generally involved before we go to an accepted offer, before an offer is typically made even. Um, sometimes overlapping a bit. And then I'll talk about the people that come into play once that accepted offer happens and where, where it goes from there. Sure. So right off the bat, it's residential real estate. So people purchasing homes, all right? So obviously the most common sense is that there's a seller and there is a buyer of the transaction. And so... Mr. Seller is selling and Mr. Buyer is buying, or Miss, Miss, and Miss, sorry. Uh, then we have the agents involved. So a buyer will either not have representation and be there on his own and representing himself, or he'll have a buyer's agent, and then there will be a list, what's called a listing agent, representing the seller of the transaction. As we've mentioned in the entire uh, broadcast of... Um, uh, you know, the role of the New York City real estate broker. We touched on that on episode number four. Most times in New York City, although there's plenty of cash in this market and many, many, many cash transactions which are happening, but first-time purchasers and even people who can afford to pay cash prefer to finance. So if, they're, if they are financing, they have to know their money. They have to know how much they can qualify to buy What's their comfort level in terms of uh, how much they, they are prepared to, um, uh, to a mortgage? And they need a qualified mortgage banker, which we, help, which we have uh, plenty of. And they're hungry. When one is financing, uh, it's, it's very important to have a strong mortgage banker who is not only there to guide you through the loan process, but to provide the purchaser with what is called a pre-approval letter. Because just because somebody says that they have the goods to buy an apartment or they want to make an offer on the apartment, the very first thing in Manhattan that the listing agent's going to ask for is a financial statement and a pre-approval letter, as well as uh, additional personal information about the buyer, job, salary, et cetera. So that pre-approval letter is one of the first 
things which has to be gotten by the buyer. And a good mortgage broker, a mortgage banker, excuse me, uh, is the person to uh, to help. And we have plenty of uh, really, really strong bankers to assist the buyers. So when the shopping begins and when we start going in and out of apartments and then zeroing in on the apartment, which the buyer wants to pursue, well, many times the buyer comes back not only once but twice, sometimes even three times. And if the apartment needs work, any kind of painting or uh, floors, anything, bathroom, kitchens, any kind of renovation or any kind of cosmetic work, they may want to bring in a contractor or a designer pre-even going to contract. So whether it's on their own or through our suggestion, we have great uh, contractors and uh, designers to give them estimates. In tandem with the, uh, the designer will also solicit the help of whether it's the, uh, the super, resident super of the building or the, um, one of the staff who will oversee renovation or be able to give their expertise on what can and cannot be done in the apartment. So that's kind of the initial phase of the purchase transaction. So what I would say again is the buyer and the seller of the transaction, the listing broker representing the seller, the buyer's agent representing the buyer. That's whether the, as long as the buyer has a a broker and then a qualified mortgage banker, the resident manager or building staff and a um, licensed contractor or architect slash designer. Okay, let's say, Jonathan, I have a buyer now who wants to make an offer on an apartment. Okay, yeah. so take it away and um, I'm, the, I'm actively negotiating. Great news. You found a property you or your buyer is interested in purchasing and the offer has been accepted. Now, even more people get involved. Bank attorneys, appraisers, managing agents, and more will do their job to take the offer from accepted to closed. Jonathan will guide us through that process and let us know how each person is integral to the closing of the property. Well, once somebody actually gets to making an offer, uh, one of the things that we always like to include in, in our offers that we make is who's going to be representing our client. So if we're representing the buyer or the seller, frankly, we always want them to actually retain an attorney so that they're ready and that's not something that they have to search for later down the road. But the attorneys don't really come into play until that accepted offer happens. And so, that, and, and, and in the state of New York, we need an attorney to represent the buyer and the seller. New York state is an attorney state. Continue. So each... So both the buyer and the seller each have to have their own attorney representing them, representing their interests. Um, the seller's attorney drafts the contract. The buyer's attorney does the due diligence. So, but none of that is kicked off until we go to an accepted offer. So uh, two is you have um, a bank attorney. So the bank attorney doesn't come to really come into play until later on. 
uh, once the commitment letters had been had from the uh, from the bank and we're starting to get prepped for closing, then a bank's attorney will be involved. And it's usually not a bank attorney that comes to the closing. It's usually uh, a paralegal or something that comes and represents the bank, but there isn't a, a law firm that represents that lender, that new lender. Uh, there's also a representative on if there's an existing mortgage for the seller, they will also have an, a law firm that represents them, that bank, in that sale. So sometimes uh, if an attorney does a lot of these transactions and if they develop a good rapport, good relationship with the banks, many times, like Andrew Gerbiner for, uh that we use on a lot of our transactions, um, they can actually get a special permission to represent not only the buyer, but also represent the lender in a transaction. So it actually takes one person out of it, which is fairly rare. Usually it's just, you know, more and more people. I always joke, well, it, to do anything in, in Manhattan real estate, you need like, you know, to pay at least eight people, you know, there's all, and we're not even through the list yet. So, <clears throat> so sometimes two different banks attorneys, the seller's bank's attorney, the payoff bank, and then the lending attorney, the new, the new bank's attorney. Um, once we go to contract, if somebody is financing, there will be an appraiser that's sent into the, into the, uh, into the apartment to do a independent appraisal for the value of the apartment, uh, to figure out what they think the value of the apartment is. Uh, so that's, uh, yet again, somebody else that's associated with the bank. Uh, another person that may or may not come into play is, a, an inspector. So a home inspector. We don't do a lot of inspections here in New York. Uh, we have done, I mean, maybe out of six or 700 transactions, we've had a dozen, maybe 15, maybe 20 inspections throughout all of those. Sometimes seller buyers just want to do them for their own peace of mind. Sometimes it's a townhouse. If it's a townhouse sale, of course, um, they, they will do an inspection. Um, even if it needs a tremendous amount of work, just to guard against the bigger problems. So you have a building or a home inspector. The managing agent. So the managing agent is the, the company that manages the day-to-day -day workings of the building. Any building that's over 20 or 30 units is probably not self-managed. They probably employ one of these uh, third-party companies to manage the day-to-day -day working. So they pay, take care of paying uh, all the staff of the building. They guide the board in terms of if they have to do some facade work or a renovation. They help do some of the legwork around that to help streamline the board's time and energy because the board is made up of, uh, you know, people that are are not getting paid to to make these decisions and such. So it's really a a guide and advisor for the building. Uh, so the last one would be the board itself. So whether it's a co-op or a condo, uh, there is a board of managers, these unpaid people that, that uh, actually usher through one of their big responsibilities besides deciding what happens in the building with renovations, capital improvements and such, is ushering through the new applications. So any resale, uh, you know, not new developments, but any resale where the board has control of the building uh, has an application process. So whether it's a condo or a co-op, somebody's got to review those applications and they have to approve them. 
whether it's a waiver, uh, the waiver of the right of first refusal or getting to a board interview and a co-op and then the official board approval, uh, the board itself. So the board may also need to be involved in due diligence questions if the managing agent, we have an instance right now where the managing agent is brand new so that we have to go to the board to get specific information um, even before going to contract to just make sure that that due diligence is all uh, able to be received and, and answered for the buyer's attorney. Um, so, so that's another, you figure four attorneys, buyer attorney, seller attorney, two bank attorneys, appraiser, inspector, managing agent, and board. So that's eight more people to add to the list. So we're talking probably close to 15 people. 15 yeah, different depending. If you take financing out of it, you lose, you know, uh, six people, you know, so, um, so that can lop off a, a big portion, but there's always a lot of people involved. What we see as our role is to somewhat be a maestro through that and make sure that all is coordinated as much as we can. But we're uh, only you know, one cog in the wheel and one cog. people are not doing their positions and the wheel doesn't turn we're not doing the transaction so unless we end on a sour note (laughs) we are highly effective at making sure that all the cogs in the wheel are doing what they need to do we keep people on notice we communicate we're kind of the glue of the transaction yeah and we've said it before the one of the biggest things you can do is to put together your team view this as your team. Obviously, there's one people that we don't know until we get into it, but the attorney, the mortgage banker, the broker, obviously, you you need to put together a good team of people, core people to help usher this through because undoubtedly, there's uh, there's people that aren't going to necessarily be the best at their job. They'll drop the ball. So the more people that know what they're doing to try to keep everybody moving forward is very, very important, especially because the transactions are so long. And I think that that's the great lead in to next week's podcast, which is ways in which the real estate transaction can go wrong. So people are just going to have to tune in for next week. And I think it's a fabulous topic. I look forward to it. I think you've kind of given a great lead in. And so with that, I hope that everybody had a great week and that you enjoyed our podcast this week, correct? And so- I don't know, is that correct? I don't know. Yes, I think that they they enjoyed those parties involved in the real estate transaction. (laughs) I thought you did a great job. And uh, with that, I think I'm going to sign off, Mr. Godlet, and have a great weekend. I don't know. I feel your energy is really low this week. I don't know. What do you mean? What are you talking about? I'm- I have my script. I'm an actor. I'm a character actress, to quote Tootsie. It's been a great show. And you could say the same for me. How did you think I did today? You did okay. Well, thank you so much. I'll take the okay, because sometimes you say, well, you know, you weren't that great. So we'll see everybody next week. Have a beautiful weekend. Be healthy, be safe, and what? Stay in gratitude. Stay in gratitude. Good vibe. Thanks for watching or listening to the John and Jonathan Sell NYC podcast, where experienced expert New York City real estate brokers, John Gostaska and Jonathan Conlon, break down what's happening in the market, 
what you need to know whether you're a buyer, seller, or agent, and their insight into the future with a little bit of fun along the way. If you'd like to take a look at our listings, have a property you're thinking of selling, or are wondering if we could help you finally find the perfect place to call home, feel free to reach out. You can email us at info at johnandjonathansellnyc.com or reach out via our Facebook page or Instagram at johnandjonathansellnyc. If you enjoyed today's podcast, consider telling a friend or family member about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Those are some of the best ways of supporting our efforts and we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you again for tuning in. We can't wait to share what's coming up next. Subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss our next episode and we'll see you next time.